Okay, I just I just want to ask before we do this, because I don't know if you have an idea about this. Should we say that this is our second time recording it or should we pretend that we've never recorded before? I disagree. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary. Welcome back to Pulp Friction. It's a show about what divides us. I'm your hostess with the mostest. You can call me Rocky. And today I am joined by Alex. How's it going, Alex? It's it's going. Let's let's say that. It's um, going. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be doing this. Yeah, we are having a good time and I'm excited to have you here, not only not only to have you here, but also to be talking about uh, something that we've never talked about before. Uh, love, Simon. <laughs> when you reached out and said like, hey, if anyone wants to be on the show, like hit me up. I remember thinking, God, do I actually like anything that's like, do I have I seen anything that's controversial? Because you're you're certainly a much bigger like movie buff than me. I usually just watch what is popular or what I watch that isn't popular is too obscure for it to be something that we could I could do an episode on with you but then I remembered uh Love Simon and I was like yeah that had enough controversy around it we can get a good discussion out of this yeah that's uh and and you know when you (laughs) when you reached out to me with the Love Simon thing I it, it was the sort of thing that I've kind of been wanting to talk about on this show like the entire time and I guess Cruella was 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 similar it's just it's the sort of thing where I feel like the you know the Silence of the Lambs episode was sort of thing where like it's pretty it's pretty well regarded as a as a work of art and the controversy is very like heady and and you know political um but I feel like Love, Simon has a good mix of the two where like there are things to talk about in terms of representation and in terms of like problems that the movie has as a uh and it has problems with the the film's statement and what it represents but also just things to talk about in the movie itself that uh that people are divided on so i you know i feel like it's a it's a very strong thing for us to be talking about but uh just to get us started tell us a little bit about your history with love simon yes so um i saw the movie for the first time when it was in theaters i was a sophomore in high school and I was in a production of Julius Caesar and we would have tech days where we had to go help out the, the tech people get stuff done. And so I was in the theater with a bunch of other actors who were helping out and the movie came up and all of us were like, oh, uh, like it's so awesome, but we haven't been able to see it yet. So we made plans to go see it together the next day. And um, I was, I'm pretty sure everyone who was coming along was queer, except for this one girl who was straight, but um you know like we weren't going to say no you're straight you can't come so she came with us and we went and i i really liked the movie when i first saw it like i was tearing up by the end i had a really good time and when we were done we were all in the lobby chatting about it and the 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 straight girl gets this kind of like look on her face and uh like when the conversation gets to her she's like guys i have something to tell you when i was in like kindergarten my best friend told me that she liked girls and I told her that she was gross. And obviously I don't think that way anymore, but like (laughs) she just had to suddenly say that as a child, she had been homophobic. Um, And I feel like that vibe, uh, my experience kind of sums up how I feel about the movie as a whole. I think it's it's a very unique experience. 
it's a it's a movie that uh makes people uh confess in a lot of ways <laughs> which we'll get into but um I remember I don't honestly remember the circumstances of me seeing this the thing is that for for those of you listening who don't know I go to like two movies a week usually this was during the school year in 2018 so it might have been one movie but um I yeah, I was already seeing a lot of movies at the time that this came out and so Love Simon I don't remember seeing it. I do remember going to a theater to see something different. And it was like a few weeks after Love, Simon came out. And I saw a lot of people going into Love, Simon. And it's possible that I was thinking of, like I had thought of maybe seeing Love, Simon again. And I was like, maybe I will just just slide in there. But I didn't end up doing that. It was just, um, it, it just struck me that there was a decent crowd of people turning back out for it. And this was when there were a lot of news stories about like, celebrities buying out theaters for it and it was just like you know this i i remember the the that it was a thing that people were talking about more so than i remember actually seeing it at the time but i remember liking it at first and um over the course of that year my my my, my opinion it was one of those movies that like over time i was just like eh, you know um but coming back to it uh it was definitely revealing so um we can get into it i have some notes on the history of the story that we can begin with as per usual um so the story begins with uh becky albertali the uh author of the book who was a clinical psychologist in dc from uh the atlanta area which is where the book takes place and the movie uh but she says that the character of Simon was inspired by uh, working with gay teens as a psychologist and as a volunteer and just, you know, building those, building a character out of, out of some of those experiences that she, that, that, that these kids had that she was aware of. And um, she got into writing after having her first child in like 2012, she became involved with uh, other young writers, many of whom, you know, you, if you look back at like, her tweets, her posts on Tumblr back then, you can see that like this, it was like a small group of people, all of whom got book deals and all of whom are, you know, had these very successful uh, YA novels, often gay YA novels at the time. Um, but she also got her first book deal in in December of 20, uh, 2013. And that book was Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which would eventually become Love, Simon. So she got her deal through Balzer and Bray, which is a boutique imprint of HarperCollins that's aimed at kids and teens. It was, you know, this is, it's, it's like a major publisher book deal uh, that she got for this. And uh, the book was announced, you know, obviously when it was, when, when that deal happened and it was confirmed, but she was doing grassroots promotion through, like I said, her Twitter and her Tumblr sort of as she was writing it. She was she she had clearly like very well fleshed out the character of Simon and then started writing a story about him. Um, but she, uh, you know, she she was developing interest in that character and she, you know, clearly had a, a, a specific interest in gay YA. As I was saying, she did an interview for a blog called Gay YA before the uh, the book came out. That was about like what the book would be and getting that done and the inspiration behind the character. And, you know, she said that she was a, a fan of that blog. So, you know, that, that was clearly something that she was interested in for one reason or another. We could, we could speculate about why maybe I do feel like there was, I mean, this is getting off track here, but the way that she talked about Simon at the time and the way that she talked about Ethan in some of the later interviews around when the movie came out, it was very much like, uh, I mean, it was infantilizing obviously, but it was just kind of, um, it, it, she she was very 
you know, crazy about this character that she wrote in a way that seemed like it might not be, uh, you know, productive to telling that character's story well. Um, but speaking of telling stories, Simon versus the Homo Sapiens agenda has these reviews start to come out late 2014, early 2015, uh, builds up a fair bit of buzz. All the reviews are great and people are talking about it as a work of representation. That's that's something that I think that it benefited from is just being like it, coming out at a time where people were really looking for representation and where, you know, putting a story out there that had representation was enough to get you a certain amount of an online following that could that could translate into views and like i said a lot of that happened on tumblr where she was uh you know doing a lot of promotion for the book but the book's finally released in april of 2015 and um uh i haven't read the book neither have i i think that um I, I know there's like a whole wide world of books, like several spinoff books that she's written. Um, there's the, the series Love, Victor, that's on Hulu. Um, but I, I have not touched any part of the, the Love, Simon world except for um, the film. Yeah, uh, neither have I really, except for one thing <laughs> that we'll get into in a bit. But uh, I... I, I, I don't remember having friends, my friends, you know, I was hanging out with gay people, obviously. I don't remember my friends be ever being like very into the book or like they like, like they would like people would talk about the book and it was just something that was there. It would be like in the library and it would be like a recommended like Pride Month thing. But like it, it, it's interesting because and this is true if you look at the sales that it was, you know, kind of a sleeper hit. It didn't enter the bestsellers list until like after the movie came out, uh, you know, it's, uh, it was very clearly something that just was like picking up steam and developing this goodwill. And um, like I said, just sort of being touted as a piece of, you know, representation. Um, but it was on the long list for the National Book Award for YA that year. It won the Morris Award for, you know, first time novelists. Uh, and in October of that year, uh, 2015 it was announced that a film adaptation was being produced i think that um because you mentioned like a big part of its reputation was being like a represent a representation book that um certainly i think that i mean i i had not realized that i was queer yet and i realized at the end of 2015 so i was not it was not something that was necessarily on my radar when it came out but I was certainly aware of the book in the years following it, um, just as being like the kind of thing that you see on like lists of here's some good gay young adult books. Um, and I, I kind of wonder it, how Becky Abertali felt about that if she was like, like, yes, this is gay representation, but I wanted to like, I didn't want my book to be defined as like the gay book um, because I do feel like the film Love, Simon advertised itself as like the gay teen rom-com that's like what it wanted mm -hmm. to be it wasn't like it knew it wasn't going to be like prestige film or anything so it it really dug into the whole like we're groundbreaking representation thing yeah I you know it's hard to say what Becky Albertalli wanted out of this book I think she probably got it just in you know the 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 kind of crowd that 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 this story developed and you know she talks about how she even after the book came out never thought that there would be a film adaptation of it i feel like you know 
I, from from what I've read of of you know how she talks about the book, I do think that the idea of it being a you know a, a piece of representation was something that she was uh, in, that she intended on. Um, and so you one can speculate that an author would want more from that, but I don't know if if Becky Albertalli is the author to say that about. <laughs> Yeah. So the the article from Deadline where it announces that the adaptation is being produced, it says that it's being produced by Temple Hill, who are very invested in ad- adapting YA novels. They did Twilight, they did The Fault in Our Stars, uh, and also Puya Shabazian, who produced Divergent. So this, you know, first it was bought by Fox 2000, um, and Isaac Gaptaker and Elizabeth Berger were announced as the writers. They were mostly working as producers. They had produced About a Boy and The Neighbors, which were two short-lived mid-2000 sitcoms. But uh, Aptaker and Berger, and this happens sometimes, they were planning on, they wanted to adapt the story and they were planning on selling it to all the major studios. Like we're going to do the Simon versus Homo Sapiens Agenda movie to find out that Fox had preemptively bought the rights to the book um probably before the book came out you know it's just it's this industry where and this is true of everything this was true the the you know the past two films we talked about were science of the lamps and fight club which were both based on books and both were bought out uh before the books came out uh in the case of fight club it was actually also fox 2000 who bought it but um or maybe searchlight but whatever fox (laughs) and um there's also you know like i said these several different producers who are very interested in adapting whatever the hit YA book is and, and, you know, getting it onto the screen. So I think the convergence of those forces, it was really like, this was something that needed to be picked up on at the time. But uh, after that, there was a good 10 months of no news in September, 2016, it was announced that the script was done and that Greg Berlanti was going to be the director. Uh, Greg Berlanti was the, was an executive producer, later showrunner on Dawson's Creek. He directed the gay indie rom-com, the broken hearts club in 2000 and the straight studio rom-com life as we know it in 2010 that starred Josh Jamel, who was the, who's the dad in love Simon. He also co-wrote the Green Lantern movie in 2011. Uh, He's best known now and was best known at the time as the architect of the DC TV universe. So he's a producer on Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Titans, Superman and Lois, The Ray, Black Lightning, Doom Patrol, Batwoman, Stargirl. (laughs) Um, And he produces other shows too. He produces Riverdale and, you know, Sabrina and Katie Keene, like like that whole universe too. Yeah, in 2018, he broke the record for most shows on air in one season with 14 that i mean he really does seem like the the best man for the job like in terms of he's told gay stories he's told rom-coms he does stuff aimed at like teen audiences and young adults yeah so he really was like the the best man for the job but my god is that man ridiculous Yeah, definitely. And the other thing is, I mean, first of all, he's gay, but also he, in his capacity as Dawson's Creek showrunner, uh, he was responsible for the first kiss between two men on network television. So he is, so he he is also someone who is clearly like concerned with uh, representation, with telling gay stories. And, you know, he like, he, he, he checked all the boxes to be the director of Love, Simon, definitely. I wonder, we can get into this later, but I do wonder what this might have looked like with a different director. I mean, I don't think that we know of anyone else was considered except Greg Berlanti, but um, 
I don't know. It's it's he he you know he, there are things he has strengths and weaknesses as a as a director. But uh, two months later, Nick Robinson is revealed to be the lead. Um, and you know, prior to this, Nick Robinson was uh, had a lead role in Melissa and Joey. He was one of the kids. He was the lead in The Kings of Summer, which I think has turned out to be a much more influential film than people thought it would be at the time. He was also one of the kids in Jurassic World, so he was definitely like building very strongly going up into Love Simon, and that was like his "I'm a lead." The you know this this is my movie kind of thing, and I kind of feel like. Because Nick Robinson is around, but he didn't grow as much from Love, Simon as I think people might have thought he would. And I feel like part of that is the fact that representation became the selling point for that movie. The I, I think the Nick Robinson performance, and we'll get into it later, I think it's one of the strongest aspects of the film. But I feel like this could have been the vehicle, the the like star making vehicle for him. And because they because all the selling points were like it's a gay movie, the you know, it just like 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 the the anything about the performance or the filmmaking of it got lost in yeah. in that. So casting decisions keep pouring in after that. It's like Catherine Langford, Logan Miller, Alexandra Shipp, Jennifer Garner. And then that's announced in February. In March, they announced Tony Hale. And the same month, they start shooting in Atlanta on location. Um, and filming finishes under a month later on April 23rd. Uh, they finished two days ahead of schedule, which Greg Rolanti says was an effort to offset the cost of royalties for the soundtrack. Um, on the one hand, I have a theory about why this film might have been rushed. But on the other hand, uh, there are a lot of there are a few expensive songs on this soundtrack. Uh, the song at the very beginning, which I can never remember the name of. Obviously, I want to dance with somebody is in there. Uh, there's original Jack Antonoff songs, you know, and this, this film was made on a $15 million budget, which surprised me because it's, you know, like, like if you look at it through that lens, you'll see that like not that much is being spent on wardrobe and there's only, there's only a handful of locations, but it, 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 it feels like a, you know, high quality, uh, the high budget production. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it is the kind of film where there's absolutely no fantastical elements. So like the most complicated thing that they do is like we need to get some people who can uh do like cheerleading and marching band for the football game and we need to get some mm. dancers to do the the dance sequence but there's you know like nothing significant so they can afford to make it look pretty good on a small budget yeah you, and you, you can see like where they put their money into which i guess we'll get into later but that same month that they finished shooting, uh, Albert Talley writes the first spinoff book, The Upside of, the Upside of Unrequited, uh, which is one of many books that is not uh, directly in the narrative of Love, Simon, but is part of the same universe, the Simonverse, as it's now known, of interconnected but otherwise mostly unrelated YA books. That same year, Nick Stone writes Dear Martin and Angie Thomas writes The Hate You Give, both of which are also part of that universe. I just, I can't get over the fact that The Hate You Give and Love, Simon are in the same world, especially I, I guess technically then I have seen something else from the Simon verse because I, I have watched the movie of The Hate You Give uh, mm-hmm. with the caveat that I watched it on my friend's TV on a flight from London to New York. So mm-hmm. I, uh she had subtitles on but i i didn't get everything but um they just they they're one of them being like uh like it's it's a gay movie but it's not like you know like a social justice movie in any kind of way it's it's a rom-com and that's exactly what it's trying to be 
versus um, something like The Hate You Give, which is all about like social change. It's a very big social justice film talking about police yeah. brutality and racism and stuff. They're so tonally different. And I mean, there are moments of humor in The Hate You Give and there are moments of like, of like, you know, serious talk in, in Love, Simon, but they, you know, they really, and the fact that like, it's not just the books either, like, like, like The Hate You Give and Love, Simon textually are in the same universe. They take place not only in the same world, but in the same city with, you know, and they don't like, even though they're both shot in Atlanta, obviously Atlanta is very big and they don't like, it, it doesn't feel like the same place. Obviously the, um, I mean, the tone is just so different and like they take place in the same year, I think, because they both <laughs> came out in 2018. So like if they were making a, an extended universe, which now it's owned by Disney, they're, you know, <laughs> they kind of are, but um, they, they could easily be like, uh, they, you give actually takes place like a year or two later or whatever. But they, I, I mean, they, they're both in 2018 and, they, and you know it's it's crazy especially because the the cop who kills the kid and the hate you give the you know sets the whole story in motion is in love simon he's he's you know he's he's the the jock who like hangs out with them and doesn't really say anything he's the one who gets up on the table and he's like party at bram's house uh it's it's the same actor it's the same character and this 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 high school kid <laughs> apparently becomes a cop and shoots someone before the end of that year. <laughs> yeah, you could just like drop out of high school and they're like, shit, man, like two months traded. Here you go. And God, because that's it, they they can't take place in the same world or else that is true. And that's just so horrible if they try to like actually connect this film. know that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think that most people would notice that, so they could probably get away with being like, "Let's not go into that." Too late for that. <laughs> They've confirmed that they're the same character. <laughs> oh, it's, it's like, <laughs> like I don't want to see a movie about that guy, obviously, but I want to know, like, I, like, like if they're gonna keep building out this world, what is that guy's deal? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Why? Just why? Seriously. Yeah. If Seriously. if we're doing if Simon's gonna be in love, Victor, we should at least hear like what he thinks about all of that. Yeah. This kid that he used to you know eat lunch with who, who killed a kid. Yeah. I mean, woof. <laughs> but so um, the title was changed to Love Simon in October of 2017. Around the same time the posters start dropping, the trailer came out a month later and, you know, the movie screened for the first time in February of 2018 at the uh, Mardi Gras Film Festival in Australia and opened a few weeks later in March. Um, and on a $15 million budget, it made $66 million worldwide. It got a 91 on Rotten Tomatoes. As I said, a lot of celebrities were like buying out theaters for people to go see it. Uh, that was, you know, the thing to do in 2018, I guess. <laughs> Black Panther had come out a month earlier and they were just like, this is, this is how we're doing it now. And um, to my knowledge, I think, I think that probably happened with Crazy Rich Asians, which is weird for a number of reasons, but uh, I don't think that's happened since then. I think that was, you know, just the way things were done for a minute there. Um, I mean, the, the pandemic shut down movie theaters. So I, I would not be surprised if the practice picked back up if another big representation movie happens, but we'll see. 
That's true. That's true. But I feel like representation movies are kind of commonplace now. And like we, we can talk about Well, I'll just get into this here. Um, so I was talking about how I had a I had a thought about why the movie might have been rushed. Uh, obviously, it was picked up in October 2015, and that was it was picked up by all these producers who were doing YA movies. It was clear that they were like, "This is a YA property that got great reviews, has a strong audience. It's it's gay, and that you know, even at that time, that was something to to sell it on." And they you know snatched it up. But then it was we didn't hear anything for ten months, and then it was suddenly Greg Berlanti's directing, Nick Robinson's the lead. We're shooting in three months from now. Like everything happened really fast, and I think what might have motivated that is the release of Moonlight because like the news that um that Greg Berlanti was directing what came was like the same week that Moonlight premiered at Telluride it had you know obviously it did great at that festival a few weeks later massive opening weekend it was you know the, the, the critics loved it and it made like a hundred thousand per screen in a weekend and, the, and you know it was like the, it was like the best like per screen average that whole year but uh Love Simon started shooting like three weeks after Moonlight won Best Picture. So I definitely think there's something there. Yeah, it it doesn't, I don't see how it adds up that like the like Fox 2000 would look at this like uh, beautiful, but like incredibly thought provoking and mature film about um, like, yes, to gay adults, but also about being black and about addiction and how that affects childhood and stuff like that, that was rated R and go, this is the motivation we need to get our PG-13 rom-com into gear. Uh, But I don't work in uh, film and marketing, so I I don't know. Maybe, Maybe they made the right choice. Yeah, but what I was, what I was gonna say about like representation films as is that I feel like that like like that is the calculation that I think a lot of studios make is if a movie with gay people does well, then everyone has to make a movie with gay people. And I feel like I feel like Fox did Love Simon and studios were like, we can, you know, put gay people in things, but this that that's gonna be the gay movie because and so let's find something else to represent. And you know, I think I think it happens all the time with like I'm seeing this summer a lot of movies like because of the pandemic have this delayed reaction to crazy rich Asians where they're making all these action movies about Asian people. They're giving, you know, John M. Chu is 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 doing in the heights, obviously. But it, I, I think that um it, Hollywood just works that way. <laughs> they're just they, they they, you know, they're they're all about the bottom line. And so if if a movie about gay people makes money, they're going to look through their catalog and see, do we have any gay movies that we can get made right now? Mm-hmm. So the other comment I wanted to make, and then we can get into the movie proper. Um, Jennifer Garner, uh, who's the mom in this film, filed for divorce from Ben Affleck in April of 2017, ostensibly while Love, Simon was being filmed uh, because like because like the, the thing leaked like during the filming and it was like you know a news story that was like this just happened so it, it was it's very probable that they filed for divorce during the filming of love simon but also josh demel plays the dad in this movie he and fergie announced in september that they had separated earlier in the year so it's in, it's entirely possible that both of simon's parents were getting divorced during the filming <laughs> of this movie it's just especially like that juxtaposed against Simon saying over and over again how he has the perfect family and his parents are so in love. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. I mean, that can be that that can be a starting point since it is the starting point of the movie. 
is that um, is is Simon doing this monologue about how? Uh, hold on, I have the I have the first line here. I'm just like you. For the most part, my life is totally normal. I didn't think about the I'm just like you part, but that is, I, I guess it, t- it makes more sense later. My dad was the annoyingly handsome quarterback who married the hot valedictorian and no, they didn't peak in high school. And then, you know, he talks about the, you know, the sister and he's like, but I have one big secret. And then he's like checking out the landscaping guy across the street. So, um, I, you know, it's obviously a cliche kind of intro to be like, my life is 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 totally normal, except for one thing. Um, but I don't know. I feel like it is an interesting note to start the movie on. Yeah, I think, I mean, um, I have a lot of, I took some of my own notes on this film and a lot of it ties back to the fact that this film, as much as I know for a fact that gay audiences appreciated it, is also clearly meant to not push straight people too hard. And so there's a lot in the film that, uh, Simon says things like, I'm just like you, or my experiences aren't that experience aren't that different from experiences everyone else can have. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that it was probably intentional to start the film with the line, I'm just like you, to reassure that he's not like, you know, I'm not too flamboyant or anything, or I'm not one of those like weird gays. I'm just like you. I'm a normal kid. Uh, to like right. almost reassure straight audiences that. Um, they will find the protagonist relatable. Yeah. And I guess they, you know, on, on the one hand, I like how they they flip that when the, you know, the, the storyline starts to unfold. He writes the first letter to Blue and it starts the exact same way that that monologue did. <laughs> or the entire text, I think, is exactly the same as that monologue. But I feel like it's interest it's interesting i mean it still accomplishes the same goal early on of like of like easing the audience into it a little bit and i mean it's definitely like people go in expecting that that knowing that he's gay but they you know i feel i feel like having that line is very much setting a tone of simon is you know simon simon is this like this very like hegemonic like like quote unquote normal kid and then and the you know the, the the one difference is that he's gay um which isn't necessarily always the case but it, it's, it's definitely how it's portrayed at the beginning but then but then the fact that you know what would be a cheesy like you know 80s movie opening is, is it, the twist is that it's actually the letter that he's writing to uh blue i i, I think that is kind of interesting uh I, I I honestly think it's a it's pretty good. Like this movie definitely plays on a lot of tropes that you would see in like um like a John Hughes movie from the eighties and a lot of classic rom com tropes. And in many ways, just plays like a straight rom com and doesn't do anything that um, groundbreaking or anything besides being gay. So um, that I, I I feel that a lot of the things it does that are very similar to typical rom-coms don't work because they are gay. But I do feel like that that letter in the beginning is like a cute gimmick that does work. Um, especially as you pointed out, because when he says, I'm just like you, when he says it to the audience and then when he says it to Blue, they mean very different things. That's true, yeah. I, the, the, like, the framing device that sets up the entire film is that there is a 
bespoke website <laughs> called Creek Secrets, where the students at at this one high school, it seems like anyone can post on it, but also it's trusted as a source of like gossip. And the first thing we hear is that so and so gave so and so a hand job, and the and you know the characters are commenting on that as if that's anything. But I, you know, it, 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 it's I, I like even though our real life school has something pretty similar. I, I, I just feel like it's such a contrived, you know, setup to, 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 to have everything take place online and to turn this, uh, to turn this letter writing thing into something that works in a movie. Definitely. I also, one thing I noticed is that even though the point of the website is to be anonymous, uh, like they, they make you put in an email that people can reply to. So there's gotta be people who like didn't remember to make a fake email and posted a secret and everyone knew it was them because their, uh, their email was like uh, bonhiggins03 at gmail.com. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, oh man, it, it's, it's very weird. There are a couple of framing devices in this movie that I think are kind of contrived. One of the biggest ones is like the actual, you know, climax of the film on the, on the Ferris wheel. I feel like that there are a lot of problems with that whole thing for the first one being that like blue cuts off contact with Simon altogether. As soon as Simon is outed, he says, I, I, I can't, I, I, I can't, you know, be in, be in the spotlight like this. I'm, I'm done. And then, you know, can't, can't communicate with him. So why does Simon think that, <laughs> that if he says, listen, I'm going to this very public place. Uh, everyone's going to be there. <laughs> you, you, no pressure, but, 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 you know, come through and uh, I can finally meet you. Yeah. I think that, the the worst part of that is that it almost goes against what happens earlier in the film because two major events that happen earlier in the film are um martin at the homecoming game steals the mic from the girl singing the national anthem to ask abby out and the the point of that is like big public romantic gestures where you make someone make a decision in front of crowds of people are embarrassing and bad and you probably shouldn't do them and then right after that Martin uh, leaks Simon's emails and out him and Simon has this whole thing that he like this whole little rant that he gives to Martin like the point of coming out is that I'm supposed to decide who knows and when I tell them and how I tell them and what I say and you took that away from me and that's why it's so horrible. And then Simon proceeds to do a big public romantic gesture where the person would have to make a decision in front of a crowd where he would out that person and decide who gets to know and when they tell everyone and how they're telling them. So yeah. what is the message? Yeah, it, 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 I started to question as that scene was coming on, if the message is you should come out to everyone, even if you don't want to. <laughs> Like, like, like it will be good in the long run. And I feel like, you know, this film, it's trying to have it both ways in terms of being a rom-com, like, like a tongue-in-cheek rom-com and also a coming out narrative that, you know, gives insight into what it's like to be coming out. And I, you know, I feel like there are times where it accomplishes both very well, but there are also times where just like the basic concepts of doing those movies are in conflict with each other. Exactly. 
Yeah, I, I was just going to say that. There's some rom-com tropes, because rom-coms were not meant for gay people, so sometimes the rom-com tropes just will not work with a gay couple. It, it, it's true, especially when you're, you know, especially because coming out does not really have something analogous in your typical rom-com that you can, uh, yeah. that, that, that you can point to. But I think that, I don't know, I think there's a lot to be said about, like, the the narrative of coming out altogether that this that that this film sort of mythologizes and that you know in queer theory people talk about how the idea of coming out is rooted in uh surveillance and ideas of confession and you know the like like, like the idea that people ha- have a right to know your your something about you and the idea that sexuality is identity and that it's it's you know a core part of who you are and how that's incorporated into capitalism etc but i i i think about how this film sort of i i i don't think this was intentional but i think that by by being a coming out story where the where coming out becomes an act of romance you know i think that i i, I think that you know very much put, puts it in the conversation of of things that sort of mythologize coming out and make it something that people other than that that, you know everyone has a right to yeah the film has a very interesting way of of talking about coming out um there's multiple times in the film where simon uh sort of complains in his uh letters to blue about how straight people don't have to come out and gay people do and there's this fun little um sort of uh side gag where his three best friends who are all straight tell their parents that they're straight and their parents react in like fairly in, you know, like somewhat negative stereotypical ways, like, uh, like, oh, you get it from your dad's side or uh, like, it's like, I don't even know you anymore, that kind of thing. Um, And I think that that is a, a smart and comedic way of making straight people in the audience think about something that they don't necessarily think about a lot because um, straight people don't think about the fact that the fact that they don't have to come out is somewhat of a privilege. But then at the end of the movie, when Simon is writing his final letter to On Creek Secrets, that's like, yes, I am gay. And here's everything I've learned in my journey of being out into the whole school. <laughs> um, he says something along the lines of, uh, I thought I was like something like where he repeats, I thought I was mad because straight people didn't have to come out as gay. But then I realized that revealing your true self to the world is terrifying no matter who you are. And Mm. yes, that is true. And everyone has something about themselves that they need to reveal. But they had also just made the point that being your sexuality is not something that straight people have to reveal about themselves. So it feels very hypocritical very quickly. Oh, totally. And uh, the interesting thing about that, uh, the straight people coming out scene, I like that scene a lot. And it's, there's really only two scenes like that in the movie, the the, the coming out one and the the cutaway gag, rather the cutting out one and the coming out one and the um, being gay in college one. And I feel like I feel like I remembered both of those very well. And I remembered them as being like part of what I had fun with with the movie on the first watch. But watching it again, I realized that not only are they like right next to each other, they, they're part of the same letter to Blue, I think, that, 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 that both of those things come out of. And they're the only ones in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. And I 
I had uh, I had some thoughts about that that second cutaway gag. So uh, there's a part in that letter where Simon says, um, "I'm going to college in a few months, so maybe I'll just you know keep it all in until the end of high school, and then when college comes out, I'll finally truly like be myself and be gay." And it cuts to like him in college, um, and like I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston starts playing, and he's in this background with posters that say like no hate and have little rainbows on them and then he like goes down the stairs and all these people come out and they're all in uh like t-shirts and very normal typical clothing but they have just like bold colors of the rainbow so when they stand next to each other they kind of look like they're doing a rainbow thing and they do like a flash dance um mm -hmm. and when i uh was watching the film yesterday for this my note on it was, you know this movie is for straight people because Simon's idea of gay people at college is people in single colored shirts that kind of look like a rainbow when they stand next to each other. And that is too gay for him. Because he specifically right. makes a comment that that is too gay. And I'm like, <laughs> like, why? I have only been on a college campus for one year where it was pretty much shut down due to a pandemic. And I can tell you, gay people are much more than... Are, are dressing in ways that are much more than boldly colored plain t-shirts. Yeah, it's it's a very weird, it's very weird how they do it. It was clearly one of those, it's one of those moments where the ways that they spent their budget are very obvious because on, on the one hand, it could be that Simon, there's a scene later where he Googles how do gay people dress. <laughs> so like, it's, it, you know, they, one could argue that because this is, so much of this movie is internal and it's, you know, Simon's perspective that in in that scene, it's like, it, it, it's, you know, how he would imagine it having no idea how fashion works. Um, but uh, also I think that obviously I want to dance with somebody it's probably the most expensive song that's in this movie and when they talk about how they finished early to make sure they had enough to pay for the songs I think it's entirely possible that that sequence was a place where and in the entire movie you know the it, like I said it looks very like high, high, high budget but if you are paying attention you'll notice that like the wardrobe is very basic and there's only a handful of locations and I you know in, the, in that sequence I feel like it really pops out where it's like they wanted to do more with this yeah like i i want to know what they would have done with a larger budget but as it is it, it feels very sad and um unrealistic like if this is what simon thinks of the gay community when he goes to college he's gonna have a big storm coming Got a rude awakening yeah oh man that would be a great uh second simon book like simon goes to college and all the gay people are just way <laughs> are just you know like streets ahead of him yeah so um I mean, the other the the other thing that approaches a musical number, and that's another thing when we talk about that scene being in Simon's head, is that Simon is kind of a theater kid. It's weird because, like, he it seems like he is, you know, not very invested in theater. And like when we see his room, it's not it's not it's not like theater is like one of his big things. But he's also he's clearly part of the of the theater crowd. Yeah. You know. But they, you know, they're doing a production of Cabaret, and that is the um, the other song and dance thing that's happening in the movie. Yeah, total, like, sidetrack here. But I find it interesting, like, how they portray him as a theater person, because I was a theater person in high school, but I didn't do musicals. Um, and I know plenty of people who, like, freshman to senior year were good enough singers to get into the, like, the big musical, but were not good enough to, you know, have a big role, and so they were always in the back people were still mm -hmm. so committed to theater and the reason that they would 
do a role like audition knowing they'd get a small role um senior years because they cared about theater but simon doesn't have that attitude although the theater director does mention that uh like the vice principal made her do a no-cut show so maybe oh yeah did it to support abby or something i don't know that is interesting i feel like there there's a world where the the play could have been i guess the play is is a is like sort of a a framing device for the the progression of the martin dynamic and we can get into the martin character but i uh, i think there's a world where the play was part of the story of this movie a little more yeah and i you know, there, there's a lot going on in this movie, and I, I, I kind of like that. I like how it's not completely focused on one thing, but at the same time, it's it feels like the play is so present and yet so irrelevant. Yeah, I think it it mostly exists within like the narrative as, of the story as a way to keep um, Simon, Abby, and Martin all in fairly close contact even when their relationships with each other are shifting so right uh it, it gives martin a reason to want to to be interested in abby that doesn't come off as being completely creepy because you know he's been doing play rehearsals with her and their characters interact so they have to get to so they've gotten to know each other a bit instead of just him yeah. being like a random kid who suddenly has chosen abby to be the subject of his obsession but they've never really interacted um, yeah, and it it gives Abby a reason to be near Simon even when they're not talking with each other. So yeah, and the scene where where Abby starts to like Martin is uh, when they're running lines together at a Waffle House. I was very, I I I was sort of confused, I guess, by the way that this movie portrays Martin because he's definitely he's definitely the antagonist of the story and you know the way that he blackmails simon and it, it and and then you know obviously outs him and it, 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 it's pretty hard to get behind that but it's like we're first introduced to him and like there's an immediate impression of he's a guy everyone hates but then as he starts talking it's like are they just like being mean to him <laughs> like is it like does he is he actually just like a kind of an awkward guy and then the the blackmailing thing happens and it's like well okay now we have a reason not to like martin but then the movie starts to say actually martin's not so bad <laughs> yeah. and, and that and you know, then the outing happens, but then the apology happens, and then the thing of the first, like it feels like it's it. I, I, I maybe the idea was that Martin is a villain, but it, there's layers to him that are you know he's he's not just a bad guy, but it feels like yeah. this movie is is such a is such a like by the numbers rom com that like it feels like it would have been better to just have a bad guy. <laughs> yeah, I agree because the issue isn't even that like Martin is a complicated character; it's that before they want you to hate him for blackmailing Simon, they want you to hate him for being the weird kid. Um, and so there are so many things that like uh, Simon is uh, like derisive to him about that aren't related to his blackmail. Um, like he dresses in shirts that all have jokes on them. And Simon's right. like, they, they treat that as like, this is proof that he's a like a lame guy that you shouldn't like because he wears shirts with jokes on them. Um, yeah. instead of just like, instead of, uh, thinking about like, instead of delving further into the implications of the blackmail, they do that to make sure you know that he's bad, but the rest of his framing as a bad character is just him being 
a guy who doesn't get social cues. Um, and like, I definitely saw some of my friends and his not creepy behavior, but like his just socially awkward behavior. I was like, yeah, I could see my friends doing that. And so to see that be framed as part of his antagonistic nature was uh, not very fun to watch. Yeah, and, and when it gets to the point of, but you know, when Martin does that big public gesture for Abby, it's like, you you know, that's not the right thing to do. But also like Simon has convinced him that he that he can do it, you know, like, 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 like in that scene, Simon doesn't offhand like, yeah, go big. But like th- this entire time, Simon has been, you know, pushing martin into into like you like you will get abby like this is gonna work and it's it's hard to you you feel bad for martin in that moment despite everything else until like the next scene where he uh out simon but i don't know (laughs) there's nuance i think like like many things in this film they really tried to do something really interesting and it kind of didn't work all the way yeah, I think they were definitely on some level like we want to express that Simon, you know, Simon isn't downtrodden. Like Simon has internalized homophobia, first of all. Simon is, you know, someone who is, is not nice all the time. <laughs> and like, I, I, I like that they did that. And I, I like the characterization of Simon, but I feel like it, you take a step back and you're like, so are we like, like, are we supposed like, like like the movie sometimes is like you're supposed to like Martin and then it's like well, obviously you're not but are but but the things that they're making fun of Simon about it's a whole thing, um, yeah we could also talk about Ethan the uh... yeah uh, so Ethan is the out gay kid at school he is very feminine and they they make a joke early in the film where Simon's like um, Simon I think he's trying to blue and he's like. Uh, when or some at some point he says like when Ethan came out like nothing really big happened um but he's like Ethan's only friends with girls and he's sitting out on the lawn with his three three girlfriends and he's like I have something to tell you guys I'm gay and they all do like really bad acting of like oh my god I didn't know that or congratulations Ethan like very like the kind of thing where it's like we all know that he's gay so when he comes out let's all pretend that we didn't know to make him feel better um Mm. throughout the film Simon makes some like kind of homophobic comments about Ethan where he says that um which definitely could be part of like his internalized homophobia because it is true that a lot of people um who are like gay and closeted can be kind of threatened by the more out and and flamboyant gay people around them and so they might do homophobic things to try and like distance themselves um but our introduction to Ethan is Simon saying he makes it too easy. Like he makes it easy for the bullies to target him because he dresses feminine all the time. Um, And I feel like that is never properly criticized by the film. It was uh, one thing that bothered me. I'm going to, I having thought about it a little more since we tried to record this episode earlier, I'm going to disagree with you there. I think that the, the, the setup of Ethan has, has an immediate payoff in that once Simon is outed, he faces the exact same bullying, the, the same insecurity about if people knew he was gay, like, like, like everything that he derides Ethan for comes back to bite him when he is outed. Yeah, you're right. I just... 
I think, especially at a movie aimed at teens, I, I probably would have appreciated them making that a little more obvious. But obviously, you know, you can't ask a film to, to spoon feed the audience everything. Mm. So... Um, yeah but and I also did I also did like even though there was a certain level of of unrealism where it's like you know the the scene where Simon and Ethan like talk and Ethan sort of goes into the homophobia that he's faced and it, you know it's it, it's like it's it's your turn to talk now whatever but I I I just it, it's it's unrealistic in that Simon and Ethan do not interact with each other like you, you know he Ethan says you could have told me and it's like why would <laughs> you know it doesn't really it does, i don't know it, yeah. it's i i feel like it was a it, it feels contrived to have those two talk to each other but i did like that that simon after you know seeing things from ethan perspective ethan's perspective and getting bullied and, and you know have, have you know having those same things that he applied to him just just hearing more of ethan's perspective i feel like that was that part was well done yeah no i agree with that i just there are some times where like simon says like uh like nothing bad like nothing big happened when like for um students didn't climb on the tables and like pretend to have sex with each other while dressing as ethan when only ethan was out but ethan Mm -hmm. was getting bullied regularly um and every time it happens he has like a very snappy sassy uh like comeback uh and Ethan's character, Ethan is played by a black actor. So I definitely think that like the fact that he was a black character probably played into the whole like, you know, like let's do a, a sassy response back at what they say. Um, probably, but yeah. I, I do kind of, I just, Simon like repeatedly says, oh, um, like it wasn't that bad, but like, even though the film shows us Ethan getting bullied regularly. So I was just, mm-hmm. um, because no seems to do the same thing afterwards like yes there were those two bullies and but aside from that and like his friends have ghosted him for reasons we can discuss in a minute um Mm -hmm. but aside from that no one else is being super explicitly homophobic to him the Mm -hmm. like they they do the big thing in the in the cafeteria but it almost uh that happens because now there are two gay guys so now they can make a joke about them having sex with each other it it just feels like if simon had been the out gay kid at school it would have been very different from ethan the the feminine one being the out gay kid at school that's entirely possible yeah it's it's one of those things that's tricky to talk about because on the one hand so much of this so much of this film is directly from simon's perspective and i mean he's narrating a lot of it and it's like it's very clear that there was an intentional element of these are biases that simon has that he has to sort of work through throughout the film but at the same time the fact that this film was advertised as a representation film it's sort of you you sort of go in with an expectation that it's going to be a teaching movie and then when it when it also has these ambitions of having a complicated protagonist who's you know not right about everything it, it, it you know it sort of shoots itself in the foot yeah now that we've talked about Ethan a bit let's talk about Simon's friends uh okay that whole thing yeah the uh the the one the the scene in the movie that i think is the worst that i thought was the worst the first time i saw it that really undermines a lot of what the film is trying to do is the scene where 
Simon is outed and you know the 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 not only is the outing revealed but the letters to blue are revealed the you know the 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 fact that Garrett had these letters is revealed at and he you know he doesn't talk to anyone for a while he's 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 you know super upset whatever and then all his friends are mad at him and they you, you know there's a big confrontation where where he goes to pick them up and they're like and, and they're like, you, you know, you, you, you used us as pawns by putting us together. And then, the, the, you, you know, you didn't tell us. And it, it, I, I, I thought that that scene, which is a classic, like, liar reveal scene that every, like, John Hughes movie or, or any 80s movie would have of, like, the main character's a liar and everyone finds out and they hate him now. But it, it just, it, it doesn't add up. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I, I guess my opinion is that, like, well, yes, Simon did some like mean things like he lied to his friends he like tried to set them up in relationships they knew wouldn't necessarily make them happy because he had to keep Abby free to make sure that Martin wouldn't out him as soon as Abby was unavailable um but like they never uh acknowledged the fact that like he was being blackmailed they never really have any sympathy for that um yeah i find really like upsetting that like (laughs) they have no like yes he messed with their love lives but at the end of the day everything works out for them like yes it got delayed by a few months but abby and nick got to date and uh i mean leah leah's crush on simon is is dead weight so um right like Simon had this like traumatic event happen to him and they just like don't care that much. Yeah, and there's so much like he says that, you know, he was blackmailed and then Abby's like, you used me as a pawn. And it's like, the only thing Martin said was give me a date with Abby. Like, like what else could he have done? And I do think that, I, I do think that, like I said before, the the fact that Simon convinces Martin that he really has a shot with Abby is probably one of the worst things that he does in the film. But um, he, you know, he like like, like it, it's just the again just for the sake of everyone being mad at him in the scene and doing the all is lost in the in the save the cat formula. The they 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 have to completely brush over the fact that there was blackmail and the thing that like patches that up is he's talking to Leah and he and he's and he says it's not just that I was blackmailed I was in love which first of all if you read the email like like the emails were the thing that was leaked anyone could read those and see that there were that 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 these two were you know forming a relationship but then like (laughs) but 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 also it's just like why does why does that make everything okay if the if the being blackmailed part doesn't yeah it's like not i don't care that like you being you being gay doesn't like uh and being blackmailed for that doesn't give you an out but you being in love gives you an out um it's almost like the the kind of thing where um orientation is more about like action than identity um Mm. so like the film is emphasizing the the action that comes out of simon being gay which is him being in love with another boy rather than his identity as a as a man which is like what i feel like is worse about being outed yeah but then like 
you know, Leah's like, tell me about Blue. Tell me about the, the guy you're in love with. But it's like, did she read the emails or not? Like, like, like oh. they got leaked. Everything is he there. Took, he only know? took the pictures when they, he took the pictures when they'd only been emailing a few times. So That's he doesn't true. have like every email that we see. He has like the first three or four emails. Um, that's true yeah it ends at the um at the uh the oreo thing yeah so it like it would be fair that she didn't know they were falling in love but falling in love shouldn't have been the thing that made black that made like that uh got her to forgive him you know definitely we were talking about i was confused by the timeline because the, um, the, you know, the the musical is obviously being produced and it's going like through the fall semester. I guess we start three months in and then winter break happens. And, but doesn't, there's a, it's a Halloween party at the beginning. So, okay. If there was a Halloween party, that's October. Uh, they've known Abby for three months. So since July, so probably probably she like moved and she lives near one of them and she got you know she got to be a part of the friend group before the school year started is the only Mm -hmm. thing that makes sense um yeah unless unless the three months line comes after the halloween party because there is definitely winter break uh we must be in at least january i can't like 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 when the music go on Oh, um, I don't remember exactly when, like, the three and a half months line, I don't even remember. I just know that um, one thing that confused me is they talk about the homecoming football game, but it seems to be happening right before winter break. And I always assumed that homecoming was, I mean, we didn't really do homecoming at my high school, but I always thought that was earlier than winter break. Um, And so they they do make a line about three and a half months there, but then... um, Somewhere around the musical, Simon makes sign about knowing Abby for six months. So, um, right, which which would put you in March, which which would mean that they were they were working on this musical like from from October to March, I guess, or sept or September to March, and then there's a winter carnival the like the night of the show, like like the same time as the show in in, in March. <laughs> Yeah, it's it doesn't quell add up. I'm glad you said March though, because I uh first time we tried recording when we were talking about it, I had the month of March in my head, but I didn't know if it was accurate or not. And I realized it's because at my high school we always did our big musicals in March. And I think I had mm. the association of musicals going up in March in my head. But also at my high school, uh we start the we we do auditions before winter break, but the rehearsal process starts after winter break. So we would never uh. do the big musical from October to March. Yeah, and they're they're already like rehearsing a big number in in and October. They're saying, <laughs> like doesn't it open with Abby saying we have two weeks to be off script? It might. That's, <laughs> months, that's months before that's months before they're putting on the show. That's crazy. That's nuts and 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 she's so upset she's like she you know the teacher mrs albright she's like i'll kill you she's like 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 because no one's it's 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 october at the latest you know it i uh man fucked up and it's even more fucked up when you consider the hate you give and the fact that one of their friends becomes a cop within six months 
God. Unless I he mean, already is a cop and it's like a 21 Jump Street situation. That might be true, what it true. is. I was, I was thinking if it's a 21 Jump Street situation, then the reason the guy's going around trying to get everyone to go to Bram's house is that he can arrest all these kids for drinking underage. Yeah, he really dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> you got the whole setup, man. You didn't even arrest anybody. What the hell? The scene where, like, you know, because Simon's drinking all night at the party. And first of all, I made note of the fact that in the scene where he catches Bran with a girl, which is obviously this very pivotal and emotional moment, uh, Monster Mash is playing in the background. And the girl is dressed as a minion. It, it's very, <laughs> it's very ridiculous uh, audio visual experience to what's supposed it to be is. a big dramatic moment. It's sort of disorienting, but Simon drinks so much at that party is so disoriented on the walk home you know comes into the house and he's trying to hide it and it's not working at all and then it cuts to him going up him up in his room puts a record on he says i'm not dizzy anymore and he doesn't act drunk at all yeah (laughs) and like the conversation that he and leah have seems completely sober it's completely serious. He writes a new email to Blue, like, 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 and, and, and the thing is, he said he says love Jacques in that one, and maybe that's like he he was drunk, so he said love and didn't think about it. But like, th- he's he's just not drunk anymore. They just needed yeah. to have a scene where he especially, he's and they also specifically make a point that Simon doesn't drink. He didn't even drink right. the Manish Devitts at Nick Sater. So. This is the first time, as far as the story wants us to know, that Simon has ever had alcohol. And he just right. sobers up in, like, the the 20 minutes walking home. But also in that 20 minutes is intensely drunk for the first 15 and completely sober for the last five yeah. or two. I, the, he, gets, he, he gets sober on the way upstairs. <laughs> yeah. That's how it is. I mean, unless it's like, unless, you know, they just, they just cut away to like two hours later and he's like, okay, I feel good now. Let's put it right. Even that wouldn't make sense. But like, they, they, they got to them up in the room and it feels like no time has passed. Yeah. I guess they, they did change. So like, yeah. that took maybe 10 minutes. But <laughs> I don't know. I'm interested. Um, how do you feel about the two scenes where he like talks with his parents after he comes out? Um, he's, right. there's one with his mom one with his dad um, for me for the mom scene that's always like one of the most emotional ones in the film Jennifer Garner gets mm-hmm. this really sweet monologue she says like I've seen you change over the past four years it feels like more and more you're holding your breath and now you get to exhale and be more yourself than you've ever been in a long time it's just mm-hmm. really sweet um, yeah. It's also interesting to note that the mom is a, is like a therapist and Becky Albertalli was a uh, clinical psychologist. There's definitely mm-hmm. likely some of Becky Albertalli in the character of Simon's mother. Um, so what I'm do you sure. think of that scene? Yeah, I, I, I think that scene is, is very effective. And I, I think, you know, you know, Jennifer Garner crushes it. Nick Robinson crushes it. it, it it's 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 a very moving scene. And I like the one with the dad too. Um, I, I like how throughout the movie there are the you know he makes these little homophobic jokes. He talks about how the guy in the Bachelor is fruity and like you know. <laughs> I can't. I couldn't. I could barely keep a straight face when he said the word fruity. It's just. <laughs> like a a meme online to just toss around the word fruity but it wasn't it was something i was aware of but i hadn't really heard before but now to me just sounds so ridiculous 
Yeah, it, I, I, I like that as they're having that conversation, the dad kind of comes to terms with how, like how kind of shitty he's been and not realized it for, for a long time. So yeah, I think both of those scenes are, are well done in terms of placement. I feel, I felt like the film was doing something really interesting where after Simon came out, everyone was like texting him, coming up to him in the hallway being like, do you want to talk about it? And he, it, it, it just made him feel worse because he, you know, he felt like all eyes were on him and that validated that. And I felt like it was making, I felt like it was making a really interesting point about how sometimes you don't want to talk about it. Uh, but then it's immediately followed by like four consecutive scenes of him having these, these deep heart to hearts with people. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I, it's more the idea that like, they might not want to talk right away, but eventually you'll get into it. Um Yeah. I mean, the conversation he had with Leah was on his terms because he fucking ran after her and then was like, these are my running jeans. Um, mm-hmm. But the conversations like with his mom and with his dad were not ones that he started. I don't, at least yeah. the mom one wasn't. Um, yeah, the dad one wasn't either. Yeah, it was both like the parents having something that they wanted to ask or something they wanted to say. So mm-hmm. um, they probably weren't trying to do anything like super deep with that, but so much of the story already isn't on Simon's own terms. It would have been nice to show that like the conversations that he has after he's outed were his own, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I like, I, I just remembered the the subplot of Simon and his dad making the montage for the uh, anniversary. There's so many like l- like little things that are going on <laughs> in this movie, yeah. like on top of the of the frame narrative. I kind of like that a lot. I mean, getting into more general things, I, I we've already talked a little bit about the film being from Simon's perspective. I really like the way that that's done in a lot of it. I really like how his image of who blue is and the blue that we see writing the messages changes as he's has suspicions about people in his life being blue. Um, speaking of blue, there's a, there's something that I caught when I first watched the film that no one else I was with caught. I don't think it's something people realize a lot. Um, but mm-hmm. there's a scene it's after Martin's like started to get friendly with the group and him and Abby are friends where Nick and Simon get up from like a table in the cafeteria and go and Nick is like, well, I'm just going to ask Abby out. And uh, Simon's like, no, 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 you should ask Leah out instead. When Simon gets up from the table in the background, you can hear Martin say like very loudly uh, a joke to Abby where he's like, hey, what do you call someone black and Jewish? Bluish. And uh, of the three guys that Simon suspects is uh, blue. Bram, who is blue in the end, is the only one who is black. Um, but they, they leave it ambiguous whether he's Jewish or not. Or, well, no, they don't leave it. They We know that Blue is Jewish, but we don't know that Bram is Jewish. So, like, fun little nod that I caught that uh, I don't think a lot of people do. Yeah, I, I, I like how, you know, um, I think I think Bram comments about how about how Jacques Adit, uh, Jacques is, is the, is, is Simon says in French. And so it is, it is, so that's why it was Jacques. And then like the black Jew blue thing is something that I, 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 now that you've said it, I'm sure that's what it was, but it's, I, I, it's, you know, 
something that's just kind of there in the background um but the uh i noticed that at the beginning of the movie simon has like a like a panic at the disco is for the death of a bachelor tour uh there's a poster on his mirror and then later he talks about how his gay awakening yeah. not his first gay away his gay awakening was daniel radcliffe but he like was got really into panic at the disco and he was like mm. <laughs> that's that's great yeah they still have it up it's funny because um, he had reoccurring dreams about Daniel Radcliffe and he had a Harry Potter poster right across from his bed and they show a flashback where he like rips the poster down because he doesn't like that he's having dreams about Daniel Radcliffe right. every night. So. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the, it was pointed out online that there are also uh, allusions to some of the other books in the Simon verse that are on like the whiteboard, the like blackboard thing that he has over his bed. I, I didn't, I have to say I haven't read those books. so I don't know what yeah. the references are, but they're in there. They they put uh, a great deal of effort into, you know, making his room feel like what his room would be. We also see Martin's room and he's like, and it's like a bunch of like magic memorabilia. And that's something that we're supposed to not like about Martin, even though it's, yeah. it's like whatever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I, I just remembered Martin's room. Like he's the kind of person who has like wall-to-wall posters so every inch of his wall is covered in posters and you like can't even see what the original color was and right next to his bed there's a there's a borat poster and that just stood out (laughs) to me i think his room had like a lot of dark kind of yellowish lighting but the posters are borat like the background is a light blue so you could really see it standing out um Mm. yeah i remember first watching the movie being so jealous of simon's bedroom i was like that's the coolest goddamn bedroom you got chalkboard all over your walls you can just doodle shit whenever you want i was jealous yeah i would still love to have love to be able to like you know write shit on the walls (laughs) you know that's something that i had i had like a little magnetic uh whiteboard clipboard thing at uh, at school that i like never used but it's just one of those things where it's like i want to have a whiteboard yeah other things the dog's name is bieber i don't know why <laughs> it, it feels like a kind of a weird name for a dog i don't know I... yeah i it, it's one of those things that i guess like evokes a story and it just you know as, as a little character to the world but yeah. i i, I kind of wanted to know i kind of wanted to see something justin bieber related anywhere just to just to explain it yeah it's it's fun yeah. to see like dogs dogs with interesting names that have like a bit of a backstory to them um complete tangent but related to the idea of dogs with names that have backstories to them um uh we have family friends who had a dog named butler and apparently the story behind his birth is that um the owner's parents had the dog's mom and uh they were like well known in the neighborhood and so they invited all the neighborhood kids to come and help the mom give birth to the puppies um so they would have to like take the puppies and clean them off and weigh them and mark what sex they were and all that stuff. Um, and they were coming out so fast that they had to, they would take a Sharpie and draw a mark on the dog so that they could like tell each one apart. Um, and that that dog had an X drawn on its butt and they thought that all the kids thought that was funny. And so they named it a name that had butt in it. Nice. <laughs> um, I think when my mom was little, she had a, a cat named Buttons that she would always call Butthead. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, miscellaneous things. I liked um, Mrs. Albright, the theater teacher, a lot. I should have looked into that actor's name. Mrs. Albright loves Simon. It is Natasha Rothwell. Yeah, she's really good. Um, 
she, she she's great but uh tony hale was I, I thought was also really good in it i like the idea of you brought up the notion that like there's the narrative reason for having tony hale be there and be like this you know this this like oversharing vice principal is because he he you know he has this this open door policy and like if if the vice principal was someone who simon really connected with there would be a reason for him to like go to him and be like i'm being blackmailed uh i'm gay you know they would have solved a lot of problems if there was someone if there was an administrator or, or some adult that simon felt he could talk to in his life but yeah they you know we got tony hale instead yeah i haven't seen tony hale on that much um i was most familiar with him through arrested development which is a show i do not like so mm. um I, I was not a big fan of his character but as i thought about it they like you just uh, explained there is a narrative reason why there is no trustworthy adult for Simon to talk to, because if there was, then um, he would have solved the blackmailing situation through like school discipline um, and not by uh, manipulating his friends. Yeah. So uh, let's see if there's anything else. I liked that the the initial post by Blue was talking about feeling like you're on a Ferris wheel, and then that I guess that was the setup for the Ferris wheel being the the side of the climax. And maybe that adds a level of like it's a it's a personal thing that they share. But you know, it could have been anything. So, but but I like that they start with the metaphorical Ferris wheel, and then it becomes literal. Yeah. Cute. Yeah. I, I made a note here, uh, Simon's always leaving tables. There's, I think it, part of it is like, a, it's a framing sort of thing where it's like, Simon constantly feels the need to isolate himself from the people around him because he knows they and he can't be a part of their world. But it's also just funny to see him leaving tables all the time. Yeah, it, it, he's, he's always like, you know, he's got some kind of excuse, like there's no service in here. I need, I need to get some fresh air. And then everyone like looks all worried as he, <laughs> as he, as he flies off. Um, it's something that happens like three or four times, probably. Uh, I already said, I like the scene where Simon Googles how to dress like a gay guy. <laughs> I like that little, there's, there's so much going on in this movie. And like, even though, it's the, like like the the central rom-com storyline and the central coming out storyline they, they they're sort of by the numbers and sometimes they conflict with each other but i like the i, I like that there's also all this other stuff going on and, and how like every every detail of the story is like it, its own whole thing about like who simon is or who, who the other characters are i i appreciate all the little details like that yeah definitely i'd say my favorite character is probably bram like he doesn't get that much of a focus or anything, but I just, I think that he's like, he's a cute character. And um, like, I, I appreciate his struggle of like wanting to take things slowly, um, but like building confidence because of his conversations with Simon. Um, I just, and like by the end of the film, Keenan Lonsdale, the, the actor who plays uh, Bram, he doesn't, he doesn't play as the fact that like Bram is in any distress, but Bram also says like, I didn't know I would, until I was walking towards the Ferris wheel, I didn't know that I was going to do this. Um, so like I do, it's, I still feel bad that in a way he kind of had to out himself, but he doesn't seem to have any qualms about it. He's not like, uh, I can't believe you're making me do this or like, why would you do such a big gesture yeah. or that kind of thing? 
yeah, I agree. He doesn't get much to like do as an actor per se, but I really like how he's this like very affable friends with everyone seems seems like even more so than Simon seems like he's got no problems in the world. And he's, he's the one who's, you know, behind it all. It's sort of, cause Simon, you know, the, the, I mean, I mean, this is mentioned in Jennifer Garner's speech, how Simon seems very like distant for the entire movie. And it's clear that like everyone's been worried about him because of this for like a while. Um, and and I don't know I just think it's it's uh, a good way of doing it to have the 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 character who turns out to be the the one who's been making these posts and who you know called himself blue talked about life being like a roller like a a ferris wheel not a roller coaster um and it would be funny if the climax was on a roller coaster um and it's just every time it comes back around they're like woo but um yeah I just I, I just like how uh how Bram doesn't seem to be in distress when we see him. And there's, you know, we, we sort of, you sort of have to reflect on the whole movie to realize the kind of shit that Bram's been dealing with, like every time we see him in the movie. Yeah. Um, Which definitely highlights the fact that this really is all from Simon's perspective, which I, I think is interesting when you think about the dynamic between him and Leah, because Mm-hmm. Like, as an audience watching, we can so obviously tell that Leah has a crush on Simon, but there's never any sort of romantic tension between them because mm-hmm. Simon doesn't feel that way. It's never, I'm sure if we saw it from Leah's perspective, there would be like, you know, swelling music and very like romantic yeah. framing around her interactions with Simon. But to Simon, mm-hmm. this is the same thing they've been doing for the past 13 years. It just hasn't changed. Um, yeah, and it's really well done in that way. I feel like part of it is that we know Simon is gay before we even meet Leah. Um, but it, you know, the even when there are scenes where like they're alone and helping each other out, there's the, you know, from from our AKA Simon's perspective, there's never a sense that it's more than that. And I feel like there there are like narrative ways that set that up. Yeah, I do think like I. I always get like pissed at Leah whenever she seems like upset that when she says like, why did you come out to Abby before me? Um, mm-hmm. Because I just, it, it feels, everything about her feels very thoughtless almost like uh, I never told you that you were in love with me, but I decided that I thought you were in love with me because you didn't date any other girls. And so now I'm upset because you, you're not in love with me. Or like, yeah. why did you come out to Abby before me? When, to me, I guess, it always makes sense why you would come out to someone you've only known for a little bit rather than be your best friend for your whole life. Um, right. Certainly, like, I, I made my own little gay friend group who were other kids at my middle school who I only knew. Like, we had some shared interests, but I only got to know them because we were all queer because that was easier than talking about it with all my straight friends. So mm-hmm. uh, to me, it seems very obvious, but I guess that's another, maybe an educational moment for the audience about why gay people don't come out to the people they've known forever first. Yeah, it, it's interesting to me that Leah went on to get her own book. I don't know what it's about, but I, I you know, I'd, I'd be interested to see about that. I do think that um, perhaps that moment is, is, commenting on the sort of entitlement that people feel that they have to other people's identities that 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 leah feels like i'm your best friend i deserve to know that you're gay um 
yeah it, it, it's but 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 i yeah uh, there there are a lot of things that i think and part of that might also go back to the fact that becky albertalli is a psychologist and is has probably is probably very deeply concerned with like the the the, the root causes of how of how her characters feel but um there's a sense that that all these characters have a lot of you know kind of like, like conflicting and upsetting feelings that are presented as such but that again because this movie was sort of touted as a as a as a teaching moment that you know the the it doesn't always work in its own favor definitely so to to get into more uh overall stuff before we before we wrap up something that that really struck me this time that really hadn't the first time is that i really like a i really like the character of simon and i I, you know i like the extent to which he is um you know I, i talked about how he's how he's like not perfect and he you know has these internalized uh conflicts that show up but i also like that he is like i said into theater but not that into theater the fact that he listens to classic rock there's that i that great scene at the party where he's doing karaoke and he's singing a song that nobody else knows <laughs> i you know i i i feel like there was a lot and you know as i was doing my research and looking into how becky albertalli talked about this book as she was writing it it's very clear that she had a very she had a very strong idea of the simon character before anything else and i feel like that comes through even to this point and you know Nick Robinson talks about how Greg Berlanti was sort of walking him through what it was like to be gay and closeted in high school and how he sort of like mentored him in that regard. It feels, it, it felt, you know, there are a lot of things about that character that felt very relatable to me as someone who was closeted at one point and to, you know, I think he's a really strong choice for a, a protagonist for this kind of story. Even though, as I said, sometimes it wants to be the, you know, the issues movie that you know has the has this like the like archetype reflection of 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 gay people but then simon is such a more complicated character than that uh but i also think that nick robinson's performance in this role in my opinion is the strongest in the film i think he really crushes it and again if this had been marketed as a nick robinson vehicle i think he would have gone very far on it yeah I, I agree that his character is the strongest. I just, I I kind of wish I had gotten into his character more, but it just wasn't a character that necessarily worked for me, um, mm. which it's not to say that the film is like, that his writing is bad, but I just, I, I'm a person who my interest in stories definitely is connected to how much I can get into their characters. I'm not, I don't, I'm less interested in a story with simple characters to tell a compelling narrative than strong characters to tell a a simple story. Um, Mm. And I just wish that to me, Simon had been a stronger character so I could have gotten into his story more. Mm. Yeah, that is, uh, that is interesting. Um, So yeah, that that's love Simon. Any more thoughts on the film? Uh, No, I think I was very glad to have this discussion. Yeah. So yeah this is it's really fun it was fun the second time around too um the you know the broader the broader world of these films obviously the you know the hate you give it's it it just it like one can't imagine that their plan was we're gonna do love simon and the hate you give and they're part of the same universe but it, it but they 
cast this guy to play a, a character in both of them and said they're the same guy. <laughs> so it's like they, they, on, on some level, they clearly must have been like these are going to be the same world. If maybe we'll market it that way, maybe it'll become part of a, a universe and how Disney has those characters and they're you know doing exactly that i i can't imagine how disney would would bring the hate you give into this universe but i also i i don't know how they couldn't given that i mean first of all the interesting thing that i read is that they're making a movie out of on the come up which is the you know the the, the next it's angie stone's next book and it is uh in the world of the hate you give and therefore love Simon, but it is, um, you know, a separate story. And that film was picked up also by Fox 2000 to be directed by George Tillman, who also directed the hate you give. It was going to be like the next chapter of the hate you give movies. And then when Disney acquired Fox, they sold that movie to Paramount. So it's like, they, they, you know, they have the hate you give. They have love, Simon. They're, they're touting both of those things. They're doing love, Victor. They're clearly expanding this universe. While Paramount is also expanding the hate you give universe that Disney has. That's part of the love, Simon universe. Yeah, I, I guess it could, it could be that, like you said, um, on the come up is supposed to take place in the same world, but like in a different place with a different cast. So. I, I haven't read either The Hate You Give or On the Come Up, so I don't know how much the cast might overlap, but they could tell a separate story and still include The Hate You Give as a part of uh, the Simon first. Yeah. I, I can't imagine Disney wanting to tout something like The Hate You Give under the Disney name just because, or well, I guess, um, nothing has of those has been under the Disney name because Love Victor was apparently supposed to be on Disney Plus, but they decided that it was too much share and put it on Hulu instead. Um, so I guess they could be willing to put like, you know, the 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 Fox name on on the hate you give and, and use that to bring the worlds together. It just they're telling such different types of stories i can't imagine trying to combine them into one that doesn't uh like almost trivialize the incredibly deep and important story of the hate you give or completely change the mostly comedic vibe of love simon i can't imagine it working yeah first of all i was going to say uh when we were talking about the hate you give earlier my experience with that film is that i watched it for like end of the year stuff as I was figuring out what I was going to put on like my best of 2018 list, whatever. And I got like 20 minutes in, I was like, is she still narrating? And I, that, that was it. I turned it off. <laughs> it's like, it, it's like, I, you know, I, for, from what I've seen, it was good. It just, you know, this was at a point where I was watching so many movies and I was just like, if, you know, a movie where the same person is going to be narrating the entire time is, is, is kind of not, it was not at the, at the front of the pack for me. And I was also going to say that, um, the thing is, first of all, I mean, being on on Hulu, like like it's still Disney's Love Victor, you know. It's it, it's just about the you know they they've consolidated their brand to make room for the Fox stuff under their umbrella. But at the same time, I remember when that story was coming out about the the Love Victor stuff. I like 
it didn't even register for me that Love, Simon was a Fox movie. I was just, my, my initial thought was, oh yeah, Love, Simon's Disney. And, 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 you know, watching it now, it's clearly that, you know, it's, it, it's not, it, it, it doesn't feel like a Disney movie. It feels, you know, I mean, it's, it, it's, it doesn't hold back that much in terms of, uh, you know, obviously kids drinking, partying, you know, uh, uh, cussing etc it, it, it doesn't you know you can watch it and feel like this is a, a, a regular movie as opposed to a disney movie but the, there's something about the the aura that it has the, the the impression of love simon that is very disney i guess i guess i see that um i mean i definitely the 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 teen vibe that they're going for in some of the storytelling definite in the sort of some character archetypes like Simon and Martin and their relationship minus the you know blackmailing part could fit I could see that as like a dynamic in a Disney movie set in the high school yeah it I mean I guess there's the there's a like Disney Channel original movie vibe where you know a lot of those were like uh stories about this this you know ethnic group this whatever that, that 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 it's like it, it's like the Disney Channel formula, but it's about uh, Irish people or whatever. <laughs> and they, they, they did that a lot. And I guess Love, Simon sort of feels like it fits into that. I also just think that like um, maybe it's the fact that Greg Berlanti is such a TV guy and there's such a there, there's there's this there's this strong TV feel that I think is is there in this movie where it's not very concerned with like visual language it's that you you know it, it, it's shot and sometimes written in a way where it's just like this you know it, it feels like a tv movie and i wonder if that's what it is i wonder if, if like i think of love simon and it just it, it just reminds me of a disney channel original movie even though it's you know not something that would have been shown on disney channel yeah, I remember I was watching a, a video talking about uh, DCOMs as referred to um, once and how um, it was talking about the plots and like some of them gone to more serious stuff. A lot of them was just like, here's this girl, he and isn't player, but she's going to succeed and she has low self-esteem, but she's going to succeed. Like there was nothing specifically that would, you know, make her the target of bullying besides being a little weird or something like that. Um, but she is like fighting to be recognized. I could feel some of that vibe in this movie, except it, it chose to like, you know, actually take a difference that people might be, you know, isolated over and apply it to the character yeah. that's feeling isolated. Um, yeah, I, I think it's kind of trying to have it both ways where like it wants to be, it wants to not hold back and be like something that adults can enjoy and be something that, you know, where, where that, that, that has like, drinking and it doesn't feel like it's it's marketed it's for kids but at the same time it also wants to have this kind of squeaky clean atmosphere that you know doesn't threaten it doesn't threaten the audience as as we yeah. talked about the different ways that it does that it, it makes me think uh like one of the first scenes that we see with leah is um she like calls simon and says like did you know, like this guy, like this girl gave this guy an AJ in the pool, and that's why they had to drain it. And I was watching with my mom yesterday. She turned to me and said, "What is an HJ?" And I, I had to tell her that, like, it's a hand job. Um, but I think that's definitely like they want that edgy vibe of like, oh, like this is a mature thing, but also 
they use the term HJ in conversation instead of just saying hand job so that kids who don't know what a hand job is don't really get it. It, it wants to slip in the adult stuff, but it, it's, it doesn't want to go all the way on it all. Yeah. I would say overall, this is a fundamentally conflicted film that has a lot of, uh, it has a lot of very strong and interesting like character and world building choices. Uh, but the, the like main plots are very convoluted and kind of, and it, you know, don't always work out and it has uh, c- conflicting intentions where it wants to be, uh, it wants to be a teaching movie and it wants to be a real movie at the same time. And I feel like that, and I mean, real in the sense of like, re- you know, it wants to feel like real life, but also, uh, but also be kind of comedic and also be like a, a, a movie that, that, that teaches its audience something. And I think Definitely. it, uh, yeah. I think my, my final thoughts on the film is that because of that, like inherently conflicted nature, this isn't a bad film, I would say, but it's a film you kind of need to watch with like your mind off if you just want to see a nice, cute gay rom-com, uh, which, you mm-hmm. know, is kind of all that it wanted to be in the first place. So maybe you just have right. to take it for what it, it advertises itself as, because um, if you if you get into it like we did and you pull apart all the strings, a lot of it mm-hmm. <laughs> really doesn't hold up. But there's a reason that both of us enjoyed it when we first saw it in theaters, because if you just take it at face value, it's a, it's a cute story where two guys end up kissing on a Ferris wheel. And yeah, that, sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes that's all you need. Yeah. It's a very enjoyable film. There's a lot to like about it and there is a lot to complain about as well. So yeah, I can't imagine. I honestly, you talk about turning your brain off on a certain level. I can't imagine anyone walking out of this movie being completely completely unambiguously either like this is great or this is terrible i feel like anyone everyone i've ever talked to about this movie liked some things and didn't like other things true but uh yeah thank you for coming out to talk about love simon this has been two great conversations (laughs) yes uh no offense to you let's hope this is the last conversation about love simon for now yeah, I guess the other thing we talked about in the in the first recording was the uh, the fact that Simon, uh, you know, is in love, Victor, and he's like, <laughs> it, it's the thing I was talking about about how this about how Disney kind of wants and and it's not just Disney; it's the producers and the you know the Temple Hill people probably and Fox whatever they want to turn this into a universe. And part of that is, and it's, it's the Simon verse. It's like, like at some point Simon needs to come back into it. And so love Victor is all about this kid who goes to Creekwood, like two, three years later is gay and is sending messages to Simon who's now in college because he heard the story about the kid who had the big proposal with the Ferris wheel. And, you know, it's, he's become a thing of legend. (laughs) That. It feels so convoluted, but they've, like, built Simon as the image of this. I mean, calling it Love, Victor, like, makes you think, like, oh, it's going to be just, like, Love, Simon. So you you have to put him in there somewhere. But, uh... Yeah. And I, I, I just, at what point does it have to come into play that... I, it, it, I I always come back to the hate you give. <laughs> just, yeah, just, it's, like, it's at what point do they bring up that kid who turned into a cop? Like, there's... (laughs) 
it's so they 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 they've, they've written themselves into such a corner by just by just acknowledging it at all that now it's like so so Angie from the Hate You Give is Bram's cousin and like is does 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 nothing that came from that movie impact Bram at all? That like if if they come back to Simon at any point, it's gonna be really difficult to not mention the Hate You Give. Yeah. <laughs> but how would they? Like like in a Love Simon universe, how how can it how can it exist? I don't know. Like I said, like the the tones of the movie are so different it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like you can genuinely bring one world into the other even though they're technically already connected so who knows yeah even the way they're connected now is the the jock who has two lines in love simon is the cop who kills a kid and they hate you get like 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 any connection they try to make just just blows it just blows up in their faces because these are two (laughs) completely diametrically opposed styles of filmmaking (laughs) but all right this has been great uh once again thank you so much for coming do you have anything you would like to plug before we sign off uh sure you can find me on twitter at shakespeare 1217 like shakespeare but queer and uh i i do some art and you can find me on instagram at alchemy with a k dot art dot two um yeah so thank you so much for having me thanks for coming you're welcome back anytime this has been great thank you to the people at home for listening and we'll see you next week i disagree i disagree gary I disagree, Gary.